It's time to think differently about healthcare, but how do we keep up? The days of yesterday's medicine are long gone, and we're left trying to figure out where to go from here. With all the talk about politics and technology, it can be easy to forget that healthcare is still all about humans. And many of those humans have unbelievable stories to tell. Here, we leave the policy debates to the other guys and focus instead on the people and ideas that are changing the way we address our health. It's time to navigate the new landscape of healthcare together and hear some amazing stories along the way. Ready for a breath of fresh air? It's time for your Paradigm Shift. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare, and thank you for listening. I'm Michael Roberts with my co-host, Scott Zeitzer. On today's episode, we're talking to Dr. Ira Kirschenbaum, Chairman for the Department of Orthopedics at the Bronx Care Health System. Scott, I know you and Dr. Kirschenbaum go way back at this point. Yeah, I was trying to think about that. Ira, it could be close to 30 years, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Am I right? Yeah, I was just at the end of the paleontific era, maybe Neanderthal era. We've <laughs> yeah, it was quite a while. And the reason I, I wanted to get you on this podcast is that you are an interesting person from many perspectives, but this is a unique perspective that you are a successful orthopedic surgeon in White Plains, which is a very nice neighborhood, uh, a suburb of New York City. I know you were successful because I was your orthopedic rep. I saw that you were busy. You were doing lots of work. And then you decided to go down to the South Bronx, which, if I'm not mistaken, Ira, it's the poorest congressional district in the United States? Yeah, the 15th congressional district is the most indigent and poorest congressional district in the nation. And you went from White Plains... And up the east side, by the way, where I also was briefly at Lenox Hill. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. You're absolutely right. So, you know, upper, very fancy area in Manhattan, Westchester, these are you were doing very well as a private orthopod and you decided to go to Bronx, Lebanon. And you really, I mean, quite frankly, you, you turned things around there, to be perfectly frank. And I just wanted to kind of get your, your kind of thoughts about why you went there. What led you there, basically? Well, it's very interesting. I mean, first of all, I have always done a variety of ventures in my entire career. There's no question that I've had a interesting tour of duty. I originally started my career at Kaiser Permanente, where I was there for working for the OFP department as an employee and then a contract employee for almost 10 years, and did a lot of work in resource management as well as orthopedics there and learned a lot of business there. So I always like to grow things and like to do things. But I also feel that I was now entering my 17th year in private practice, talking about being about 50 years old. So someone came to me who was the head of the emergency room at Bronx Care, a guy named John Coffey, and he asked me, how do we get a guy like you at Bronx Care? At the time, the hospital was named Bronx Lebanon, changed its name recently to Bronx Care Health System. And I said... Why get a guy like me? Why don't you just get me? Because uh, he knew I did a lot of different things, grew two different practices. I grew the Kaiser Permanente orthopedic department, and then I grew a private practice to over 400 cases a year in a, in a solo joint replacement practice. And he said, are you serious? And I said, I must be because that just came out of my mouth. And I really wasn't necessarily looking. I met with the physician-in-chief. I met with the COO and I met with the CEO 
Miguel Fuentes, who uh, we had a long discussion, is quite a visionary, and he presented the opportunity that they have in their 100-plus years, never had a Department of Orthopedics here. They really only had essentially locum tenens, uh, part-time guys, people not fully committed, and there was a chance to build something. And this was, I guess, a uh, another chance to build something. It was an opportunity to apply uh, a lot of the principles I used at both in my training, where I trained at the Rothman Institute with Dick Rothman, as well as my private practice to a community that was in need. And a lot of people thought it was crazy just how was you going to treat the community with the same type of business plan. And, you know, Taylor, the uh, tape was that, was that uh, looking back, we're now in our 11th year, and we'll get into this more. You'll ask more questions about it. But, you know, it started as a business and a mission, and now it's uh, that mission and business have continued. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that you basically built something from uh, part-timers to how many people are in the department right now? How many we have 14 us? surgeons and 70 employees. So it's extraordinary to build it to that. I have been up there. I've watched patients hug you. I've seen you actually speak some Spanish, which again, that would uh, be typical for anybody being treating patients in the South Bronx. You better know a little Spanish. Uh, you know a little bit more than a little Spanish, which, oh, yeah. right? which I think you taught yourself over time while you were there, correct? I you taught myself and I have a great tutor every Sunday night. I'm fairly fluent in what I call joint replacement Spanish. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I and now I have expanded into general medical Spanish. If I had to go to a restaurant in Spain or Puerto Rico, I would probably have to order a knee replacement or a hip replacement for dinner. <laughs> but, but otherwise uh, you'd do fine. Otherwise I would I would have a fine meal. Fine meal. So, you know, from a change at the hospital perspective, it's the interesting thing, so for everybody who under who is not into orthopedics and is listening to this podcast, Rothman Clinic is a very well-known joint replacement education center as well as a joint replacement implementation center. So great training site as well as uh, patients are genuinely uh, taken very well care of at a private institution, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Ira, or is it a combo? Yes, this is a private, not-for-profit, non-governmental hospital. Right. And are you talking about that being Thomas Jefferson at the Rothman Clinic, or are you talking Both. about Bronx Lebanon? Both, Both, right? Well, there's two things. Jefferson is a not-for-profit, non-governmental hospital, a voluntary hospital. The Rothman Institute is for-profit. They are an orthopedic group that works partially, works out of Jefferson as well as their own they own their own ASCs and other things. But in their work at Jefferson, they're a group. They're a private group that works out of there. We're a little different at Bronx Care where we are the similar type of hospital structure, but all of our doctors are employees of the hospital. Yeah, which is what I was going to bring up is that you've got all these employees who are performing very, I mean, these are well-trained physicians. I know you've got a total joint surgeon, a specialist who's from the Hospital for Special Surgery, if I'm not mistaken. Am I correct? Yeah, no, we have two joint surgeons, one from special surgery, one's coming to us from just finishing a Mueller Fellowship in Switzerland and having trained at Washington University. We've been able to recruit some very exciting top talent where people thought it was not possible. And we have, uh, I mean, the, the department as a whole 
has about 90 to 120 peer review papers. I mean, it's not the Mayo Clinic, which has thousands, but if you were at the Mayo Clinic, of course, you would you would, of course, have to live in Rochester, Minnesota. No, <laughs> Nothing against the people in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, but the people in Rochester are wonderful, but uh, living, uh, and it would be great living there, I'm sure. So I, yeah, I, there we go. But, you know, Mike, if everybody really gets this, is you've got some very well-trained orthopedic surgeons, and you were able to attract them to what used to be, 11 years ago, a place no orthopod would consider really going to unless they... I mean, performing surgery at, unless they really kind of had to, or it was like a, a charitable thing. Whereas now you've got people trying to be a part of that department. And, and I guess, like, how did you attract that talent? Before we even get to how you take care of the patients, how did you attract that talent so you could take great care of your patients? The first thought, you would think that I brought them down to special surgery, toured them around, told them this is the place, and they gave <laughs> Bronx care address afterwards. But that's not how it worked. So when I recruit, I sell them, I sell the recruit, the person I'm recruiting, the opportunity. And then I see who's buying. Okay? So I'll recruit six or eight people. Some will buy what I'm selling here, the opportunity, and some will not. So right off the bat, the only people who decide to come here are coming here eyes wide open. They know what they're in for. Okay? Mm -hmm. One of the lines I have used, and a number of the alumni from this program, I call my people who have been attendings here, but have moved on to something else, alumni. We still all keep in touch. No one has really left without our good wishes. I tell them, you give me four years and I will give you a career. There is a unique opportunity to get busy right away, get tremendous oversight in the beginning of your training be brought along properly as a surgeon, hone your skills extremely well. Keep in mind, I am already attracting top surgeons. So That's not great. only, no one's coming here to practice. These are top surgeons to begin with, and they understand that the opportunity is twofold. One is they have patients who are extraordinarily appreciative of the effort and the time that they're spending and have very advanced disease with multiple comorbidities. So the people I attract want to treat people who need extremely high-level surgical skill. So high-level surgical skill surgeons are attracted to a place that has challenging cases. And the second reason is there is a lot of camaraderie in the department. There's a lot of opportunity for research, for innovation. We have interesting arrangements on how surgeons can invent things and do intellectual property and benefit from that themselves. So I have a model of innovation built in to the recruitment. So, And also, once you build a reputation that people have been happy here, you know, over five, 10 years, it then word gets around. And that seems to be happening. Like I, I noticed, like when you first got started, you were attracting really good talent. People were getting taken care of. Patients were seeing that, that, and that takes time, everybody. It really does. And then the word does get out. And it seems like your clinics are very busy. And I mean that from a happy perspective, not from an overworked perspective. 
the surgeons are happy getting that done. Is this something that you think could be repeatable? Like, like, could you move that to say, I don't know, the second poorest district? I don't know what that is, by the way, but whatever. It the must second- be the zip code next to this one, I guess. It could but, be. <laughs> <laughs> no, the reality is it's something I, what we try to do was develop a reproducible, sustainable system that you can apply to Cook County in Illinois, L.A. County in California, you know, where Charity Hospital used to be, right? New Orleans, was it? Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing, right? In our home, too. 10% to 15% of this country has a demographic of our community. So we figured if we can solve this problem here, we can solve a problem for 10 to 15% of the nation. If, if anyone is listening to this podcast and, and they do want to connect with Dr. Kirschenbaum about some of what he's done, uh, please, we'll give you some information about how to get a hold of us and we'll be happy to relay you accordingly. And that is why we had you on. It's, it's extraordinary to see. I've been in that clinic just on a few days and uh, it really is something to see, just the workflow Ira happens to be a, a bit of a nut on workflow, and I say that in a positive way, where he's got a lot of systems in place. If I'm not mistaken, there's like a series of lights on each door about who goes in, when they go in, color-coded lights. There's Ira and I have worked on software projects together as well as programs together. I know that you're very systematic as well, but if anybody's interested in reaching out uh, about that kind of stuff, believe me, Ira will be happy to walk you through the place. Some of your alumni, are they going to private practice or are they staying in this type of situation or a little bit above? They've all gone academic practices. Interesting. So they've all done hospital-based, hospital-employed. One person left because they wanted to be closer to home. One person left because they got a professorship. So it worked that way. Um, one thing they all learn is what, what you talked about we process engineer everything. There isn't anything we don't process map here. Every interaction is done through a classic engineering process map from when they say hello to when they go through clinic, how the surgery gets booked. So we were so frustrated with the EMR, not that all the EMRs are terrible. They're actually not. They're all horrible. There's miserable, terrible, and horrible, three different things. It's miserable to work with it. They terribly programmed and they're a horrible experience. So we actually built our own cloud-based platform based on our process map of how we want to function. So we, using a, a cloud-based database platform called TrackVIA, T-R-A-C-K-V-I-A, they don't make a program, they make a platform where you can program. It's a low-code programming. Think of Microsoft Access in the cloud. And we built apps for ourselves to follow patients on the floor, follow patients on the hospital, find out who's coming to us referred from satellite clinics, what happens to those people, what are the test results of the MRI, how are they coming back, What's the life cycle of a surgical patient? We follow them from booking all the way through six-month follow-up with this platform. We even look at the finances. I can tell you how much revenue is generated by each surgeon each minute. I can tell you the complication rate. I can tell you the patient outcomes. I can tell you the patient satisfaction. I can tell you patient complaints. We're very patient-centric, very 
high on patient-centered care. We have an aggressive patient relations department. We respond to complaints with plans of corrections in the patient's best interests. We do both the humanity and the patient part, and it's important that we properly stay in business. So people say, you know, well, you guys uh, make money. What are you doing? I said, well, if you don't make money to pay Con Edison, which is the local vendor of electric, you know, if you can't keep your lights on, you can't treat people. Now, our hospital, give you an idea of a magnitude of what we do. We saw as an institution 1.15 million clinic visits last year. Okay. And that is just a staggering number. We take care of. Now, some people could come more than once, of course, right? So we take care of, that represented about 430,000 unique people, okay? In one now, year. Per year, in one year. Yep. Okay, 430,000 people, that's larger than the city of Cleveland, Ohio. And I so looked on the internet, and I said, I looked and found on the Academy of Orthopedics site that there was 166 orthopedic surgeons listed for Cleveland, Ohio, and its surrounding, surrounding areas. Sure. And so we do it with 14 providers and they do it with 166. When I got here, the orthopedic department, like I said, was mainly a locum tenens type of thing. I mean, they were full time, but it was a revolving door. And they, it wasn't a full department, it was a division. And they saw about 3,500 clinic visits a year and did about 200, 230 operations. We now do 50,000 clinic visits a year and do about 2,300 operations a year. Yeah, it's just remarkable. It just is remarkable. And as somebody who who has known you for so long, and when you went there, I thought, wow, this is going to be some heavy lifting. And those numbers, you know, frankly, are remarkable. So from a repeatability perspective, if this were to say move to, I'll pick my hometown down here in New Orleans. I mean, we do have a brand new hospital system down here that did replace Charity Post-Katrina, but let's just... And it's beautiful. It's a a great hospital. That being said, I don't know how many patients they take care of. I know the demographic is there for it to be that there's a lot of people in need. Would they need all of that IT? I think they need some type of business intelligence and clinical intelligence. It's uh, valuable to know how you're doing, what's working, what moves the needle of patient satisfaction, what moves the needle of the type of procedures you're doing. But it really starts with leadership and the belief that you can build it organically. And I think that's the big lesson. A lot of these hospitals, like let's say Hospital X, it's an engine area, goes to the big medical center, Medical Center Y, and Medical Center Y gets a contract to deliver orthopedic services there. So they send over some orthopedic surgeons in some type of schedule to cover, I'll put that in quotes, cover the indigent hospital. Yep. I just think that model does not work. And it is the standard model. So if you are an orthopedic resident or you're in orthopedics, this is the standard modality. You basically get into a program and there's the, this is the way I say it, and you tell me if I'm wrong, there's the fancy private hospital, there's the quote, poor hospital, for lack of a better way to put it, but for, for indigent care, and then there's the VA hospital that is somehow associated with this. 
There might be another one, but that's the trifecta, so to speak. Am I correct? Like, that's the standard. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. And uh, instead of saying fancy private, I would say the university hospital or the, the major you know central hospital, the major, the academic hospital. That's right. It's not the fancy. It could be that the fancy private is the fourth one. But yeah, you're right. You need the one teaching hospital. Yeah, yeah teaching- a tertiary care center, but maybe also a trauma center. But invariably, the hospitals that need to be vibrant community caregivers need to grow organically because you need people like I believe the doctors and the allied health and the health workers in the department and the administrators are committed to the mission of a hospital in serving the people of this community. Now, no one does it for free, but on the other hand, there's a level of commitment to a community. I mean, people are committed to their churches, they're committed to scouting, they're committed to sports programs, and you could be committed to a community in a hospital. In fact, our line for the hospital is doctor to the community. It's an interesting point that you bring up because in the previous model, the way that it's set up, it's like, well, we'll kind of swing by and try to help you poor guys out. Right. Or even if they mean well, yeah, they, do, they, all mean they, well. Are, they do have the idea of we're going to swing by and give you the minimum on this contract. There you go. That's right. And, That's and the reality, we, we've grown, we truly have grown organically. And when you grow organically, you grow roots. And it's harder to rip that out. You know, when I find these contracts, a couple of city hospitals have some contracts, and one of them dropped one contract group and added another contract group. Yeah, that change just can't be good for the community of patients. I couldn't agree more. You know, every three to five years, a different cadre of orthopedic surgeons comes in. Now, we have turnover in our department, but we have normal turnover of some people. The focus of the department and how we run and how we deliver the care and the service is incredibly consistent. We lost one of our top joint guys before we attracted another one from special surgery. And because the system works so processed and so mapped out, the guy who took over actually within the first six months got busier than the guy before him and was more efficient because we learned more when the last guy was here. Now, that was only one person out of 14 that we lost one year. Some years I lose two out of 14, but it's sort of, they go into a system that's already there. We're going to have to kind of close this up, but I do think one of the takeaways from this is that you got to be patient. Some, Some takeaways to me are the criticality of being patient-centric, the criticality to measure it, and the systems that IRA has put into place are absolutely critical. And then the commitment. It is amazing to me that that one orthopod, and I know the two orthopedic surgeons, the one that left to go to another place, which is still a friendly alum that right. went to somewhere else and was very helpful when he left and helping onboard the other person, and the new person who came on board for people who don't know better, it's somebody who graduates at the top of their class, goes to one of the best residency programs in the United States for total joint replacement, and says, no, I'm not going to go to the fancy place. I'm not going to go to private practice. I'm going to go to the South Bronx, and I'm going to go get started up immediately and take care of 
good people with complex problems. And I think the real win here for everybody is that not only the patient's being taken care of, the surgeons are being trained very well, the community's getting taken care of. And I'm going to repeat this over and over. Anybody who wants to learn a little bit more about how this is done and how they can do this themselves, I know that Ira, Dr. Kirschenbaum, will be happy to connect with you and help in any way possible. Ira, I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk about how you did this. It's remarkable, and I appreciate you carving out a half hour of your day for us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks very much. You guys are doing great work. Thank you. Paradigm Shift of Healthcare is brought to you by P3 Inbound. You can find our full archive of episodes at paradigmshift.health and recommend a guest or topic on Twitter at P3 Inbound. Thanks again for tuning in to the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare. This program is brought to you by P3 Inbound, marketing for ortho, spine, and neural practices. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you.